There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. You might be interested in some research that suggests that as a Christian, there's a high likelihood that you don't trust scientists particularly university scientists. And that's not a concept that might appear unusual for regular listeners to this program where we feature creation speakers. And there's a conflict in the way that Christian faith somehow comes into tension with a modern science take on origins. However, the research suggests that as a Christian, we may not trust industry scientists either even those that make pharmaceuticals that we might rely upon for things like paracetamol when we have a headache or antibiotics fighting infection or even insulin for people with diabetes. We're also apparently not fans of science museums with a concern that facts are misrepresented. Well, reflecting today with the author of a recent article who has been looking into and researching and making commentary on the things that we trust as Christians. David Tenson is a speaker, writer, a poet and a trainer focusing on business, leadership, emotional health and spiritual development. David Tenson, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. Really good to be here with you and your listeners. Well, David, your your article obviously caught my attention and thought uh, it might be a great discussion for us today because, uh, and I think the research into Christians here is really focusing more on evangelical Christians and uh, we mm-hmm. might make that differentiation today because there are some Christians are a lot more liberal than evangelicals in the way that they look at the authority of the Bible. Uh, but uh, mm. give us some insight here into into what sort of Christians this particular research was uh, was interested in their views, and it certainly seems to be evangelicals. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the research, people can go to my website and look at it themselves, which I do encourage people to do. A lot of uh, a lot of this started with a big question for me. It was really seeing on social media, particularly uh, particularly a few years ago, a whole stream of um, people that I, I know or am connected with or have friended me on Facebook, etc., um, posting articles um, with kind of a scientific bent, uh, particularly saying, hey, the COVID is a, a scam, etc., etc., and then also seeing a bit of pushback from Christian, I could even say evangelical friends who are doctors or nurses, uh, and, and work in the field are educated and front line saying, hey, guys, just, just check this out. And what ensued then was 
quite some heated conversation. I thought, what is it that um, has us a lot of people leaning towards distrust of uh, of major news? And so um, I thought I would do the research. Uh, and so uh, I drew on about six different articles and research that had happened. Um, mainly it is from the United States. So I do need to just, you know, kind of make listeners aware that a lot of the research has been done uh, in the United States amongst evangelicals, which are the kind of the largest group of Christians um, in, uh, in, in the U.S. And, and largely in Australia as well. Okay, so it's primarily U.S., so it's not an Australian survey, but I think that there's going to be some alignments here because evangelical mm. Christians in the U.S. are a little bit similar to evangelical Christians here in Australia. And if going on the history of conversations on this program, especially around issues of creation uh, and mm. uh, the idea that scientists get it so wrong when it comes to the way that they're uh, putting their slant on the facts. Uh, there's some issues mm. there. But let's talk, as we talk about this, uh, let's discuss uh, the idea of university scientists and industry scientists because mm. uh, there's a difference here as well. And uh, what are your thoughts here for perhaps differences in the way that people might perceive the authority of those different types of scientists? Yeah. I, I should say I'm, I am a research student um, heading towards a PhD, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a scientist. So I, I'm not going to sit here and speak on behalf of all scientists. And if, if there are scientists listening who are maybe industry or university scientists, uh, greetings, and I hope I do this some kind of justice and I open to, to correction. So um, we, you, you said in the introduction, and, I, and I, I sort of spoke about it in the article as well, is that there is a, a, a scientists that are industry scientists and make a lot of the medication that have kept us alive. Um, you know, somebody, myself, uh, who's uh, was um, developed asthma at an early age at 42, I'm, I still need to take um, preventatives and Ventolin. Um, albeit less, but if that was not around, I don't know if I'd be be around. I think <laughs> the population would be a fraction of the size if it wasn't for modern medicine. And so a lot of us will take these things, as you mentioned, everything from paracetamol to antibiotics to, to statin drugs, uh, and without even thinking of it. And these are often made in by industry scientists who are, mind you, still, um, they're not they're not trained by the pharmaceutical companies. They're they are still you know, trained and qualified, um, you know, scientists, they've gone through university. It's not its not a traineeship kind of a program, is it? Um, and so then you have those that stay in academia and in university. And this is what a lot of, um, and, and a lot of these scientists will, or researchers will actually still um, borrow and uh, test and scrutinise one another. If anything, an industry... Um, Scientist is, and some may may argue, and it depends on the company, the country's policies, etc. Under less scrutiny, scrutiny. If if those those that are listening here have gone through PhD or research degrees, you will know the immense scrutiny and skepticism and uh, the work that it is just to get a journal published, just to go and have your research looked at and considered. 
Um, I think a lot of people have not done it, and I can speak of somebody who was ignorant for you know most of my life until I had to kind of do it myself. Uh, it is uh, <laughs> it is a, it is a very difficult and big task under a lot of a lot of scrutiny, and you, there is far less uh, room for just fudging things through, as um, as might be done in in industry as well. So. Um, that, that's how we might differentiate um, both of those. But as you said, what the research showed is evangelicals have less of a trust of university scientists. Um, and as their trust increases, the, sorry, as their, their kind of knowledge or pseudo-knowledge of science increases, their trust of university science just decreases. And, and this is not everybody. The research also showed a younger generation uh, of evangelicals is... Um, is less as likely um, to distrust uh, university science um, and research, etc. So it isn't it isn't a general statement. I think that's that's important to say. So I'm I you know I'm I'm uh, as evangelical as as the, you know the next guy. Um, but I think you know as I said, it's it's just looking at this and saying, okay, um, here's what the research shows, and and then wondering what the roots of that were. Of course, when you talk about uh, those papers being published in journals, uh, I guess there are going to be some journals that take uh, one view and others that are opposing, and I guess there's an issue of faith in all of that because, as I understand, one definition of science uh, was that anything that doesn't include God is science, uh, and if it includes God somehow or other, it's not science. Uh, there's this whole uh, this whole tension and even conflict, isn't there, between science and religion? That that is a big, big topic uh, that somehow or other you've got to try and make sense of. Yeah, and I don't know if, again if we could say that as a universal uh, truth. There are, you know, good. Jesus-loving, you know, evangelical church-going, ac- academic, you know, doctors and and scientists and researchers and people in all fields of uh, of um, you know all sectors that have gone through the rigors of these things um, and and can you include God in it? There there are a lot. I mean, if you look for it, you'll find it. I think that's the thing too. If if I want to look for an argument a creation-evolution argument or a science versus God, even some scientists will say to you, uh, you know, we see science as a verb. It's something we do and not, not as a, a religious or a, or a faith thing. So uh, you will find your, your Dawson's and your Krauss's and people who will kind of stand as and hold science as a religion, but you will find an in, enormous amount of bodies of people too that, that do not see it like that, that see science as something where we can... Um, and research, I should add to that, is something we can, that starts with wonder, and we can discover God in, and we can see the wonders of God in, and and they don't need to be uh, in conflict. So I think there's, I think we need to, probably it's, it's good for us to all recognize that these aren't universal things, but if we don't want to, we won't see it. We'll go looking for the argument, and we'll we'll choose a camp, and uh, and not be willing to, to look and to listen and to acknowledge, um, you know what's really what's really beneath that. And so I think, as a as a, a lot of scientists have felt persecuted by the church. And here's the thing: you will have students. I mean, my my daughter is just uh, you know loves nature, 
loves all those things. She also loves Jesus. She wants to be an environmental scientist um, when she leaves. Now, how is she going to integrate her faith and what she learns at university and make sense of it all if the knee-jerk reaction, Neil, is, no, you can't do both. You have to choose one or the other. When there, if you look for it, there's, there's hundreds and thousands of books, um, even biblical perspectives from, you know, well-known scholars and authors that allow you to hold, hold both of these. As you say, David, we tend to choose a camp. And I imagine that when we're applying some level of maturity to the camp that we choose, an idea of listening to what the other side is saying is going to be always very useful to us because we're Mm. often finding ourselves in a bubble. Sometimes we talk Mm. about the idea of an echo chamber. We're just wanting to Mm. echo the things that we understand and not hear the views of the other side. We hear what we want to hear. And that, I think, leads us to an interesting uh, idea here and maybe uh, throwing into the whole mix something very controversial in the idea that evangelical Christians uh, oftentimes have more trust in the religious organisations than in the scientific authorities. Now, that was mm. part of what the research uh, seemed to find here. What are your thoughts on on who we trust in authority? Yeah, uh, again, the papers uh, are there if people want to look through them. Um, I've, I've cited them to look through what, what they kind of point out. And trust, trust, if you look into it, is an extremely uh, complex phenomena. Um, but what we do, what the research does point out is that uh, what we tend to do as humans is to um, choose a relational or social kind of trust over something that's more distant or um, is ability focused. So for example, and that's what the research showed, uh, is that um, Christians will tend to uh, agree with or take a a pastor or religious leaders, whether it's a a priest or a pastor or rabbi, whatever that tends to be, that will take uh, their opinion or view or something as, as something that is more trustworthy, opposed to somebody that may have done six years of university has a PhD and is um, spent <laughs> um, countless tens and thousands of hours studying a particular thing, they'll trust their their pastor or leader. And now both of those parties may agree on something. We're not saying that they all disagree, but they will do that. And that's because we, uh, just of the way we're built, we, we want to trust in people that we know. And we've also got skin in the game, you know, um, if we, um, through relationship, we want to find trustworthy people and then we want to trust what they say. And part of that, Neil, is kind of digs down into some complexities. Um, for instance, to, to actually change your mind, Neil, uh, and we read this of people that have been atheists and then become Christians. It's an enormous, long and sometimes very painful uh, journey to, to go from one train of thought to another, and there can be often a huge inconvenience. You've interviewed people who've been persecuted uh, as believers overseas because they've moved faith or religion and have what we would call as Christians repented. They've changed their mind, they've changed their view, and for that reason, they're persecuted. And, um, and so all changes of mind, or any time that we, we choose to concern ourselves with something else or consider something else, takes a lot of energy and there is always a lot of um, cost and convenience or inconvenience to that. And so 
often we will choose the social relational aspects because um, the, you know, the conflict could cause us to be disconnected and that's a pain often we don't want to go through. So it's easier then uh, to write off somebody who's done six or ten years or spent a lifetime in a particular field studying someone and say, no, they're wrong because I don't know that person. They're just a name on a document or a news article and it's quicker to write them off other than sit with them. And I think, um, you know, to take a, a very, very um, pertinent and current situation in America with the Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on there, my, my, my Facebook, my Instagram is filled with, with people on Blackout Tuesday, I don't know if you, you saw that, and who are taking time out to go, okay, uh, I want to understand what, it, what racism means, what it means to, to be black, what it means to be black in America or in other countries, and, and people are repenting. People are saying, hey, I didn't realize that I had this bias. Now, that is a big inconvenience, right? Because next time you're at your in-law's house and somebody cracks a racist joke, you now are more educated, you've repented, you've realized your ways, and that could cause an inconvenience. So that's a complex uh, thing, but I think it's important for us to realize that um, we will just choose um, things, you know, often things that are convenient to us and to trust in them uh, rather than do the hard work of discerning. Now, you may end up at the very same place that you began with, but at least you've sat and you've considered with civility Um, both sides of the story. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, our special guest is David Tenson. He has written an article just recently and it's talking about trust, who we trust in authority. Uh, Asking you if you want to respond on our Facebook post today, asking the question, as a Christian, do you trust scientific authority. I mentioned those figures that had come in in the early part of the poll. Uh, David uh, might indicate that Australian Christians are not so different to the research that came through in the United States that that we're talking about today. Uh, 85% Mm. saying no, they don't trust Mm. scientific authority. Just a a quick thought on that and I'll I'll reflect a, a, a thought or two from listeners. Yeah. I think um, I think it's interesting, yeah, that that it is the same. I, you know, there is no other evidence. That's some great anecdotal evidence that Australia is. We we do think very much the same. Uh, again, I just have to go back to things like uh, how many of those that clicked yes or no um, depend on you click that through a computer, that uh, or an iPhone, <laughs> or something that was created um, through through research through through science, um, you know, it's, it's not all medical science. It, science crosses many, many, um, many bridges. And so there is an irony, right? It's a little like um, um, the late Ravi Zacharias used to always point out that the atheist will stand and um, disown and disbelieve God with the very breath that God gave him. And, uh, and we are saying, I don't trust scientists um, doing, doing so with a device that um, science helped create. There is a, there is an irony to it, I think. So, uh, well, think, it does. To be aware of that is interesting. It does appear that the the tension is not to science in general, but particularly those scientists around the issue of creation versus evolution. Sandra says, 
I do trust those scientists who are Christians, but not those who espouse evolution. More and more scientists are coming to Christianity as they realise how fearfully and wonderfully made the creation is. Then Fiona says, not always, especially when it comes to science arguing against the Bible narrative, but often Mm. do when it comes to worldly issues. After all, science gave us computers, as as you were saying. So uh, so there's, there's some insights there, because when it comes to these issues of origins and science arguing against a, a a more evangelical take on a biblical narrative, that's where listeners are really taking issue here. Mm, I get that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I would, I would um, you know, those who are willing to have a conversation and listen through some of the, the evolution versus science um, argument, there, there is a particular author that I've got a lot of insight from uh, his, you won't find him on my blog. I haven't blogged anything about it. Uh, his name is John H. Walton. He's an Old Testament scholar and he's a professor at Wheaton College. Um, he was a professor at Moody Bible Institute, specializes in ancient Near, Near Eastern backgrounds in the Old Testament, especially Genesis and its creation account. Now, John H. Walton has written, I think, up to nearly 20 books. Um, he's written a book called The Lost World of Genesis 1. There are a lot of... Um, uh, videos of his on on YouTube, he shares a very interesting um, perspective on it, not as a scientist, but as a biblical scholar and somebody who has studied ancient Near Eastern backgrounds. He makes an interesting argument, and your listeners will land where they want to uh, on this. Uh, I found it very challenging and also incredibly helpful that... that um, Oh, look, I'll let listeners listen to it, but, but he does look at Genesis um, 1 and 2, pointing at the fact that today, a lot of the arguments that we have created, mind you, uh, or entered into, we're trying to defend uh, Genesis 1 and 2 creation by taking modern science and overlaying that over an ancient text that is over is you know over three thousand years old, uh, and we've said, well, we're going to take a twenty-first century enlightened mind and all the scientific things that we know, and we're going to plonk that on top of this. And he says that does does the author and the authority of the scripture disservice because it wasn't written with that in mind. If you if you if you understand how ancient Near Eastern people thought, we might think they're Neanderthals. Um, we might think they're cavemen. These were often, as we know, pagan people who had an encounter with Yahweh, who had an encounter with God. Uh, but, you know, up until how long ago did we believe, no, the earth was round? Um, you know, so to take a scientific uh, argument today, to take a scientific framework or a creation framework and plonk it on top of that or match it against Genesis 1 and 2, he, he suggests, um, does the scripture disservice and we actually miss out on a lot. And when then we create a lot of arguments that are un, probably largely unnecessary and, and there is a reason a lot of them don't end somewhere. One of those, if, you, if, if you've got time, is, is just a very simple um, perspective that the writer in those, writers in those days and creation stories of which Genesis 
the Hebrew account of creation was one of many, many, many amongst many gods and religion. And even we will notice in Australia things like dream time stories, etc. These are creation stories. And this Genesis 1 and 2 is the creation story that the Hebrews told. And today we are often obsessed with matter. How? How did it happen? Where he would argue the authors, and he does so very convincingly as somebody who spent his, his lifetime uh, not as a scientist, but as a as a theologian, as a biblical scholar, saying they weren't obsessed with the with the how did we come into being, but why are we here, and who is this God, and what is this, what his what is his relationship with mankind, with the earth, with time, with food, with the weather, with how we live and move and have our being. So John H. Walton, I suggest, yep. is, is one of the people. Um, and that you can check out. And we'll try not to let our conversation only uh, degenerate into a creation versus evolution conversation because sure. we're talking about trust in scientists today. And uh, as you say, there are a lot of different perspectives when it comes to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And mm. uh, oftentimes, though, you've got to be academically minded to be able to read even some of the deeper things that people are arguing. And so we look for... Uh, what is going to be easily palatable in our understanding. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, I often encourage people to look into other ideas because we're right. all in a pathway, a journey of developing uh, deeper ideas about how these issues affect our faith. We're going to continue our conversation. We are talking about trust in authority. Our special guest is David Tenson. There's a bunch of people waiting to get through on the phone website. Uh, David, before we go any further, let's take some uh, some calls. Listeners have been waiting very patiently. Uh, let's mm. first of all hear from Claire, Claire in Bunbury. Hi, Claire. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Very well, Claire. Thanks for waiting patiently. What are your thoughts? Um, I'm actually interested to know um, what the take is on social media influence um, of these trust issues um, that come about. I'm actually... Um, I'm a graduate in environmental science, um, and I'm also a Christian. And so I have friends from both secular, you know, very, uh, very strong evolutionary, you know, believers to, you know, obviously um, the biblical account of creation. Um, so, yeah, I get a lot of stuff on my Facebook feed, for instance, that would, um, it's almost like it's, it's put out there to try and build distrust for the other team, if that makes sense. Ah, good thought. Uh, social media, your thoughts here, David? Hey, thanks for calling in. I um, I have done a lot of research on that. If we if we take kind of the, the theory that I, I, I quoted and cited in my article, if it's relational and social, uh, I guess it depends who's going to write that on social media and who their influences are. What will we do know is everybody's um, Facebook feed is going to look uh, different. If I hop on the wife's or she hops on mine, it's, it's vastly different. Um, and so, but I think it is going to depend on, on who wrote it. If it's, a, if it's a very close person we have a relationship with, um, we may, it may be sort of taken rather differently uh, as far as trust or legitimate, you know, if it's, if it's legitimized or trustworthy um, compared to somebody who's, who's an acquaintance. Uh, so I, I think it really also depends on who it comes from, uh, but I haven't done a lot of research in that, so I'm going to going to um, fly the ignorance flag there. 
Okay. Well, I want to thank Claire for her call. <clears throat> Pardon me. Mm. to join in our conversation. Thanks to to Claire from Bunbury. Let's take another call. Anne from Labrador on the line. Hi, Anne. Welcome. Hi. Um, I do believe that God can use scientists, especially in in the research of medical stuff and medicines and stuff like that and and, um, immunizations and stuff because I think it helps us in the... Um, to help us to keep uh, healthy and stuff. The only thing I don't have is the evolution side of it, but the side of it where they study the immunizations and getting immunizations, even this one about coronavirus that we're going through right now and being able to have a vaccine and the SARS when they're able to have the vaccine so that, um, you know, so that we can um, fight it, you know, off and, uh, and, and keep well. And it seems to be that uh, you're saying, well, you do want to trust those scientists. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater because you have a disagreement over issues of creation versus evolution. Your thoughts here, David, for for Anne? I think that's a a great and considered way forward. Anne, I think you've you've, um, thought through that. And also one of those... Uh, may see, be seen as a threat to you, and the, and the other as a as a blessing. You know that um, the, the creation versus evolution thing is a is a threat to um, you know your faith and certainty and things, but also um, moving towards something that is a benefit to you um, is uh, something that you you'd be happy to move towards. So uh, again, if we can be considered uh, and consider. <laughs> cost and benefit to ourselves uh, and then be very aware of that, Anne, is that one of those suits you, you you're choosing things that really suit you uh, and then beyond that you may go and do some um, some some research and discovery yourself. Um, you know, that's all That's all I would say is, is let's let's listen to and understand both sides of it to, to either stand in, in defence uh, of both of those. And thank you so much for your call, 1-800-316-316, to join in our talkback conversation. Let's take a call from John in Perth in WA. Hi, John. Welcome. Oh, thank you, uh, Neil, and good morning, David. David, uh, uh, the, one of the most important things that I have understood in all of this debate is to firstly... Uh, keep it simple, uh, pray before you answer, and ask an open-ended question. I can give you an example of this. Uh, for some time now, uh, I've been having a, a discussion with uh, one very secular member of my family who's a professor from uh, Victoria. So I decided that I would attack the fundamental of most secular uh, belief systems, and that is the origin of human life. Mm. So I so I asked him. I said, "Well, where is the origin of human life? Uh, is it at conception, or because he treats every baby as a as a fetus until it mm. is born?" So I said, uh, okay, where is the origin? What does is, what is medical science tell us about the origin of human life? 
and he couldn't actually refute that a baby is actually uh, conceived at the time of conception, and it makes that journey all the way to the time uh, when it's born. And I, because the the problem that I was attacking was legal murder, and we know the other term for it, but I called it legal murder. And I said, all around Australia, we have legal murder in, of the most vulnerable, whether it's at the, the spectrum where, with babies or at the other end of the spectrum with old people. Uh, and then we have youth who want to uh, commit uh, self-murder, or, you know, we know the other term for that. So having said that, I said, okay, now also think about this. The body, for example, has um, a number of processes. We have physical processes and we have chemical processes. And what I was really getting to at the time was to show that very few scientists understand fully the physical processes of the body or the chemical processes of the body, and he agreed with that. And finally, I said, you know, that that's physical science, chemical science, and now we have environmental science, which attests to the sacredness of the human body. When I got to that point, he couldn't refute anything I said. So really, I want to give hope to all of those people who are listening. Attack the fundamental, ask an open-ended question, know your Bible, but pray before you start. John, fabulous insight that mm, you've brought. Uh, let's get a response from David. I think those uh, suggestions are are fantastic. Uh, <laughs> in my in my uh, tenderness, I don't know if I would use the word uh, attack. I would uh, you know use the word question. But um, you know, in the same in, in the same breath, I think we are. It's important for us all to. Um, bring all conversation back to the absolute uh, value of, of of every living thing, and um, and I think you know like arts, like poetry, which I, I love and write, it, it bypasses these you know, what C.S. Lewis called these sleeping dragons who are ready to pounce and gets to the heart of things. And um, so I think that's great, great advice is to keep things um, around the heart, around humanity and around the absolute value um, and beauty of, uh, of all that God has created, yeah, of all creation. Great. And honour to you, John, in Perth and WA uh, for looking to the scientific evidence and to rely on that as a foundation, as you were arguing, a wonderful spiritual dimension there on the value of human life. John from WA, thank you so much for your call. Let's yeah, take another call. Uh, Beryl is on the line from Victoria. Hi, Beryl. Welcome. Oh, hello. How are you? Good. Beryl, what are your thoughts? Uh, this is just a statement that I've um, written out, but I'll just say, and I know that there are other factors at play, but I'll just say that if we're su supposed to trust science, and it is so true, how can it be go so wrong genetically where a child who can't even know what they're going to wear or what they're going to eat um, can now decide you know, what sex they're going to be? Mm. And, and science has made that possible. And I just think that I realise there are moral and legal sort of ramifications here. But 
that's where science sort of can fall down. Okay, good thoughts. Your thoughts here, David? Again, it's not. I'd have to plead ignorance on um, on really that as something I've I've looked into and uh, and pursued. But um, yeah, that's that's where I'd have to stand. I think I think I would say uh, we all have to be aware um, to. I think we should all probably be careful. It would behoove us as believers in conversations to have good conversations like John talked about is to be careful not to generalize science or all science as we, as if we would do all Christians. So we have, we are on the opposite end of that too, because I meet people that go, Hey, all Christians believe this or all Christians believe that. And I say, you know what? Um, I don't know if you've looked into it. They actually don't. Um, We have 9,000 Protestant um, denominations. Uh, we have that because we don't all agree on everything. So let's, uh, that's the $9,000 question. Uh, and so I think we, uh, if we're going to move into discussions into that, especially in a public forum, is to educate ourselves on who and what exactly. Because you will find, I think, that people will also oppose that scientific view. If science is rigorous to itself, I think you, you just you find... Uh, a great what what they call organised scepticism, where even that would be questioned within the science science scientific community because it must. Well, Beryl, you raised a great point there, and if I was adding my two bobs worth, the idea that an ideological position, which is often politically aligned, uses its own take on the science. In other words, like the bubble we've been talking about, the echo chamber, but they're using their own take to attack anyone who's in opposition to their ideological position. So, uh, yes, science they're used without a true indication of what the evidence shows uh, to be able to prove an ideological take. Uh, Beryl, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You can also have your say on our Facebook post today. Uh, where we are asking a question, as a Christian, do you trust scientific authority? And uh, as we stand, uh, 18% saying yes. Uh, there's 80% who are saying no. Uh, David, let well, me come up. <laughs> well, that's, well, actually, I'm not sure those numbers actually add up, so there must be 2% no, missing 2%? somewhere. I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to try and find out why there's a, dif- a, a, a dimension <laughs> that's not anomaly. there. Uh, let me just come. This is really a very important issue here because I think that there are those who are saying that Christians are attacking them uh, for their science mm. position. And uh, let's, you didn't want to use that word attack, but it is a word that it is, it is a word that is in play and it is important. But uh, but yeah. people who do have a high trust in science often have a distrust of religion, and so they take their own take mm. to attack religion. What are your thoughts here, David? Uh, I don't have anything hugely formulated, uh, so I'm going to take a risk of kind of spitting around there. I think sometimes people, uh, for whatever reason in life, have a, have a distrust of the God that the religion they have come to be exposed to doesn't appeal to them for whatever reason, and that's complex. Uh, and then science becomes uh, the sword that they yield. And quite often in conversations that I've had with different people over the decades, is if you dig deeper, there is something else. Like, well, my uncle was a pastor, and 
you know, he deeply hurt his family and my cousin was my best friend. And to see her go through that kind of pain and trauma and betrayal just for me said, how can there be a God? And so quite often beneath it, doesn't, it doesn't often start with science for a lot of people. It, quite often there are some deeper and more complex uh, stories behind there. And sometimes it just requires the right kind of person with an open heart and conversation that doesn't come in prejudgment, that can see them with heaven's eyes, see them with Jesus' eyes and say, well, well, well tell me, tell me more, tell me where this comes from. So uh, I, I don't think we should all kind of start at the uh, start by saying that the, the sword that they yield is, is, the, uh, is the reason they yield it, so to speak. Well, that's a great insight because people who attack Christianity, as you say, often having had something in their background that causes them hurt. And so yeah. their their distrust of Christianity is often based on the fact that relationally they didn't have a good experience. So this comes back to that relational issue we were talking about because we're more likely to trust the people that we have good relations with. It comes, it comes into play, doesn't it, this idea of uh, you know loving your neighbour as yourself. If we got that mm-hmm. right... Uh, we might be doing things a lot more successfully, David. Correct. I think it would be if we could all actually love a stranger, love the stranger, and I'm talking everybody, then it may be heaven on earth, so to speak, because we're you, Neil, you and I. I haven't talked to you before today. You were a stranger until an hour ago, um, but it's important for me to to love you. Um, and to love strangers and for you to love me and to be able to have a conversation knowing that love is in the middle of that. And, you know, it's very helpful, isn't it, David? Because this is it. We'd never spoken before today. We'd communicated with a couple of emails uh, setting up today's conversation, but uh, but we hadn't known each other. But what we do have is a common bond of faith mm. in a transcendent God uh, who mm. we know gives us an idea of right and wrong. We know that as creator, the idea of science is part of that creation. So we've got a common bond, a common platform in which we can have a conversation like this and to bring out some of these even sensitive areas. And I know that some listeners might have might be disagreeing with some of the things we might be talking about today, but, but we can have this yeah. conversation. We've never met before, mm. but, but we're already having what I think is probably quite a mature conversation about this issue of trust. I hope so. I think uh, Oz Guinness, who you may have heard from, has you know written some great thoughts around this on on a, on what we're having now as a civil conversation. Now, I'm not just tolerating yours because I think my opinion's better than yours. I'm not just tolerating, but we're having a civil conversation, listening, uh, considering, and uh, and doing all that we can to to love and to honour the other, and not to move to coercion or violence or things of that nature. And this deepens, of course, when you have that person in your family or in your colleagues uh, who really is an anti-God science only. They call that scientism, the idea of Mm. trusting alone in science and leaving God out of the question. Well, that person might be quite antagonistic. Uh, So in some sense there, it does deepen and gets a little harder for you to be able to have that that conversation on a a friendly level. Hey, let's take another call. Rodney on the line from Rockhampton in Queensland. Hi, Rodney. Welcome. Good morning. Rodney, welcome. Yes. Just a question for David. 
not so much a question, an observation perhaps. Um, my Christian worldview is I'm an old age or an old earth creationist and I think that the universe, this beautiful universe, is the way that it is so that free will can operate. And I also note that so many um, Stephen Hawking scientists are adamant that there is no intelligence behind the universe. The universe came mm. about from nothing and um, they seem to have this preconceived idea that there is nothing there. The origin of life, the complexity of the DNA and all these other things cry out for a creator. So yeah, just, just that observation that I think there are Christians who see this universe as, you know, God created it in a very specific, highly complex way for us to enjoy and for free will to operate. David, mm. your thoughts for Rodney? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, some great thoughts. It sounds like you've considered and, and studied it, and, and I, I, would, I think it's some great, great thoughts and reflections. I appreciate you coming and sharing. And Rodney, if I was throwing my two bobs worth in here, uh, this idea of old earth creationist and young earth creationist, uh, I recognise that people are on a journey in their walk and those who are scientifically minded and able to understand the academic rigour that goes into the science need to be able to go through that, make sense of it and understand it. And of course, there is a journey that we're all on. And I know that there'd be an awful lot of people listening to us today who've taken a young earth idea of creation and made that their own because they've heard of experts delivering the evidence to that particular position. Uh, there are others who hold an old earth theory and uh, we might even say that you're on a journey as we all are and uh, we'll all probably have some doubts about the journey along the way but there'll be a certain sense in which we'll ultimately put our faith in God as creator uh, knowing that whether we choose one or another may not ultimately be the whole issue around our salvation which is very very important. Jesus who died on the cross and rose again on the third day, that ultimately comes down to how we put our trust in God. But Rodney, thank you so much for your call. We are running out of time. In fact, time has escaped us and we need to draw things to a close here, David. But great insights today mm. and uh, great to hear listeners, their thoughts, their questions and even yep. their responses to that Facebook post. And uh, I'll invite you, David, uh, if listeners are putting some more thoughts comments on our Facebook post today. You might even, if you've got a, a little bit of extra time in your day, I know you're a busy man, but you might like to have a look at those and you might like to answer some of those thoughts that, that listeners might bring. So facebook.com forward slash vision radio where that question, as a Christian, do you trust scientific authority? Uh, have a conversation there with other listeners. Let me point mm -hmm. listeners to the website David Tenson, T-E-N-S-E-N dot -E -E com. Uh, David, you write about an awful lot of good stuff. You're a speaker, you're a writer, you're a poet, you're a trainer, you're on this journey to your PhD and really uh, was a focus there on organisational leadership. So you love mm -hmm. evidence, you love the mm -hmm. way leadership happens. No doubt listeners will be inspired by reading some of your articles on your, on your site as well, davidtenson.com. David, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for the honouring and safe conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.